What's up, what's up, what's up, y'all? Peace, blessings, and opportunities. I hope everybody's doing well this week, and I am sending you an abundance of energy, an abundance of peace, love, happiness, success, and most importantly, good health. Today, I really just wanted to walk you through the history of the U.S. healthcare system, because as I continue to see the narratives being pushed in the media, the fear-based narratives, and families are literally fighting with one another over who's vaccinated, who's not vaccinated. It is really beyond me, but it's very clear to me, like I said, that most of us don't understand that the healthcare industry is a business, just like anything else. So in order for you to see where it became about profits over people, you have to understand the business itself. You have to understand the history of the system that was put together. It's it's actually funny because I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who works in the hospital and, you know, we're just talking about the business and legit about how everything is about profits. And she started talking about the nurses that were there and they were older and they were reminiscing about, you know, remember the times when the job was all about patients? And that stuck with me. Because new nurses, no offense, they don't understand that because they're trained differently. They're also part of a system. So they're trained to be in and out just as quick as the doctor is. Let's be honest. What real conversation takes place? Truthfully, everything seems to be roboticized. Like, it's just... Okay, checklist, checklist, checklist. Okay, cool. No, there is no human connection. What happened to the human connection? And I can surely attest to this because as a case manager, in the past, transporting clients to doctor's appointments, if I wasn't there with them, advocating for their care, there would have been no real conversation. And this isn't to take away from all doctors and all nurses and all medical professionals at all. This is not to take away from them. Um, this is just to shine light on a system that's above them, a system that literally trickles down, which is why the roles that they play are the roles, because that's what they pay for when it comes to the third party payers. But you know, (laughs) that's another story. So I guess what I'm saying is if you understand where it became about profits over patients, you'll be a little more inclined to put faith and trust in yourself and and not in a system that was set up to keep you sick or set up to prolong illness, if I should say. I don't know, but I remember being in class and we would talk about it. At what cost is it worth taking measures to keep somebody alive till they're 100? I mean, do you want to be... 100 years old on 20 million medications and hooked up to machines because I know for me I gladly would take 85 at healthy my best because it's the quality it's the quality of treatment it's the quality of service and it, it really is the quality so enough about that and I really just want to walk you through this history because in the 16, between the 16 and the 1700s, there was no healthcare system. 
they focused more on almhouses where they were healing the sick. And, you know, there could be a little discussion about whether or not back then they they looked at worthiness if someone was worthy of healing but we can't really tie that into the business because there was no health system so in the 1800s doctors were you know learning through apprenticeships they weren't going to medical school they weren't spending 12 plus years learning a trade or learning a skill they literally focused on patterns, real life scientists. They would go to homes and assess individuals in their homes. And if there was an outbreak in the community, it was the patterns that they were focused on, which was which way which made it easier for them to really, you know, practice medicine. Because that's what it's all about, right? Patterns. I don't know. What do I know? I'm not a doctor. But yeah, they these are original doctors practicing. We're in 2021. I'm talking about the 1800s. So you mean to tell me the people who founded medicine didn't know what they were talking about? Had no knowledge? Interesting. So the origin of the U.S. healthcare system actually developed in the 1900s. And obviously when we think about the 1900s, there were so many advancements, you know, technology, um, hospitals were, you know, a setting for the sick and the ill. But in the 1900s, the government decided to interject. And hospitals would no longer be just for the sick and the ill. It's going to be a place of research, surgery, and specialized care. Okay. Cool. So now when we break down the 1900s, between the 1920s and the 1930s, there were more hospitals and more medical schools being built. Now, we're coming off... A century of doctors who never went to medical school. But now, in a span of 10 years, we're building massive amount of hospitals and schools. Interesting. So, the first third-party payer, well, the first insurance company, I should say, was Blue Cross. And they became the first prepaid medical insurance in 1929. So now you figure... 1929, okay, that's almost 100 years ago. So almost 100 years ago, insurance became a thing, okay. Now, by 1938, you had 3 million Americans enrolled in Blue Cross. So the insurance company, the market, started to see profit gains. 3 million Americans enrolled. Hmm, okay, so we can make money off of this. Hmm, interesting. Again, this is free market America, so. But, you know, in 1933, I'm going to take it back for a minute because in 1933, the Federal Emergency Relief Administration declared health to be a fundamental right. A fundamental right. So where did this transition? So this was in 1933, and by 1938, they started realizing profit gains with 3 million Americans enrolled. Okay, so in a span of five years, healthcare went from being a fundamental right to a profit. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So now, obviously, during this time in the 1930s, um, the American Medical Association, the AMA, they're a lobbyist group. They shut down the idea for universal healthcare coverage. And actually, they did this twice. 
So if you know anything about lobbying, they're powerful. Lobbying lobbyists are powerful. They get together for a certain cause to push whether that cause goes through or that cause does not. So the American Medical Association, yes, a lobbyist group, shut down twice universal health care coverage. But it was it was just said that healthcare was a fundamental right, right? But then they started to realize the profits. Hmm, interesting. So in the 1940s, when we take into World War II, health reform was actually put on hold because of the war. So President Truman at the time, he introduced universal coverage yet again, but it was shut down yet again. By who? The American Medical Association and the Republican Congress and the unions. But why? Because we're seeing profits. Why would we give people health care for free? Why would we do that? Because we already know people are going to be sick. So that means that if we can project sickness, mm, we can get a lot of profits. Interesting. So now the 1946 Hilburton Act. This funded the construction of more hospitals. <laughs> more hospitals. Okay. But, however, with under this act, the hospitals, in order to receive government funding, they had to follow certain criteria. So now you can start to see where government involvement in healthcare was becoming a thing. So in order for these hospitals to receive government funding, they, had, they couldn't discriminate on the basis of color, sex, gender. The organization itself had to distribute a specific percentage of charitable charitable care a year now charitable care hospitals compensate for this in their budget don't let them fool you because they get funding from the government so in order to do that you have to make sure that you give a certain amount of charitable charitable care and that means free care so they also looked at the demographics and when looking at the existing nature of the business so of course most of the funding went to the middle class areas we don't really have a middle class anymore, but that's another, that's another discussion. But at this point, that's where all the funding was going to. And then the organizations also had to accept Medicare and Medicaid, which um, once it was enacted, obviously. But I will get into that. So as you can see, there were laws put into place so in order for them to receive funding, you have to do this. And I'm sure a lot of us know that they're seeing that now, too, in 2021. In order to continue to work, you have to do this. And in order for us to keep you as an employee, you have to do this. Why? Because we get government funding. And I actually had an interview a couple months ago. And it, <laughs> that was one of the things I was, nope, it was a dub for me. You literally just told me that. You're not going to hire moving forward people that weren't vaccinated because the government is requiring, requiring, excuse me, a certain percentage of your employees to be vaccinated. So in order for you to get that funding, it's more important for you to meet those numbers. Do you feel me? Okay. As I proceed. So now, it's really interesting to me because this was really the beginning of doctors being politically demoted. And I say that because there was a beautiful, beautiful podcast on um, the Dark Horse podcast. And it was actually removed from YouTube. But um, it was Dr. Pierre Corey and Brett Weinstein. 
And one of the things Dr. Corey talked about was how doctors were politically demoted during this whole pandemic. They were being told what to do from quote unquote desk jockeys, but what do I know? So I use that term with grace, politically demoted, because it's unfortunate. I don't want to look at a doctor and say, you're not doing what you need to be doing. Because I understand that there's a system in place. And that system dictates your pay, your reimbursement. That dictates your, your, your license to practice. So I can't be mad at you. I can't be mad at doctors. We can't be mad at doctors. Not all of them. Because I've seen there are doctors in the field that want to help. They recognize patterns. They want to they wanna treat. They don't want to deal with all this evidence-based stuff. The doctors in the 1800s were dealing with evidence-based practices. But again, what do I know? Because evidence-based practices have to be tied to pharmaceutical trials. But that's another story we will get into. So let's take it to the 1950s now. Industry is booming. Private healthcare is growing. Employer coverage was actually a big factor that assisted um, in the growth of insurance companies. So the, it's obviously you and your employer buys into the system to, to provide you with insurance. Um, so I don't know if a lot of you get insurance through your jobs because sometimes it's expensive. I know someone that has two jobs and one of them she works just to pay her health insurance. That is fucking ridiculous. Excuse my language. Ridiculous. Working a whole job to pay health insurance in the greatest countries of them all. <laughs> Lord. So Blue Cross got up to 20 million enrollees. Um, 20 million. That's a lot of people. But most importantly, that's a lot of profit. So commercial insurance also began to enter the market. And the people who are at like the higher risk of being sick, now they're getting higher rates. So really quickly, a story. Because more and more people are now entering the market. This is, this is the thought process, right? I see that you're getting sicker and I see that you have a lot going on. So you know what? We're going to increase your premium because we already know that you're not taking care of yourself. One, we know your level of health is shitty and we know you're not going to change your lifestyle. So it's only going to get worse. So let's raise the price. That's exactly what it looks like. So we raise the price. And now all the affordable plans that people were paying for, especially in the middle class at that time, they couldn't even afford it. So you went from, wow, getting coverage and having health insurance and all this affordable, you know, affordable health care to not even being able to afford the plan anymore. What does that tell you? So now in the 1960s, <laughs> this this really, really mind boggles me. But medical expenses were growing at a faster rate than inflation. If you understand economic inflation, medical expenses were growing at a faster rate than inflation. So we are paying more for medical care than the economic inflation. Interesting. I truly just really want this to resonate in your mind as you allow the questions to be flagged. Let things pop up. Let it come up for you because this is how you change the system. When you understand what is being done in front of you, behind you, around you, you're more inclined to act. So now the population at this point was aging rapidly. 
in um, JFK proposed Medicare and it failed. However, Lyndon B. Johnson came through. He pushed through with Medicare and Medicaid, which was established in 1965. So now, these are also social, excuse me, social programs. So our government extended the social programs for the low income and the elderly. You know, we, we want to help you, right? We just want to help you. But if insurance companies are generating all this revenue and we're paying top dollar for healthcare faster than inflation and people are sicker, huh? That don't even make sense, does it? So you're paying more money for healthcare, but you're still sick. Hmm, interesting. So now Richard Nixon in the 1970s proposed a comprehensive health plan through employers, which was rejected because you gotta understand, all of this gets brought to, to Congress, so I'm not into politics, so it gets brought into the levels that it needs to be brought into. However, lobbyists are always active and present in the political realm. Yes, lobbyists exist for many, many things. There's pharmaceutical lobbyists. So this, at this point, there was an intro to managed care, which is HMOs, um, PPOs. And an HMO is a health maintenance organization. So what that means is now you're enrolled in a plan where you have a gatekeeper and one person dictates the level of health care you can use. So your gatekeeper normally is like a primary care provider. Um, but what people don't understand is that with HMOs, you're putting your health in the doctor's hand. I've seen it time and time again. So this doctor tells you you're not appropriate for a treatment, right? Actually, let me, let me give you an example. <sighs> two years ago, about two years ago, I was working with a client of mine who has long passed and may her soul rest in peace. And she had told me about her family history, about her, most of the members of her family dying from cardiovascular issues. So now she's having complications and something told me, you know, like maybe you need to have your heart assessed. Doctors didn't think, that this person was appropriate. Okay, so now fast forward, this person is being treated by a pulmonologist, right? Pulmonary, lungs, pulmonologist. And the pulmonologist loved this man. Big shout out to Dr. Manami. But um, this man was looking at physical symptoms that were very apparent on the client and said, why are you, why are you showing signs of heart issues? You get what I'm saying. So with an HMO, they dictate the level of care. So you can know that something is wrong. Something's wrong. I'm telling you something's wrong. But if you're in an HMO plan and your doctor says you're not appropriate, you won't get the referral, which means you can't go see the specialist, which further means you can't get that treated. Do you get me? Okay. So there's nothing wrong with having a gatekeeper. But understanding your level of health and understanding the health system is important because like I said, they wanted to manage how much health was being used. Interesting. Oh, excuse me. I just dropped my crystal. But as we proceed, now in the 1980s, President Ronald Reagan, marvelous guy, <laughs> he cut everything. 
tax cuts, Medicaid cuts, Medicare cuts. He wanted to literally absorb as much cost as he could because he was all set. And in, the, in 1983, it was the introduction of the Big P, which was prospective payment systems. And through prospective payment systems, you saw more employers limit the services they offered. So now you're working and you're either getting a higher plan or lower coverage. So what that means is now you're paying more money out through your employer for health care, but they're not even offering services like they used to offer that are covered. You have to come out of pocket for them. There was no universal health care talk at this time, and it was all managed care. He literally, Reagan, when I say this, he, he wanted to shrink government funding. And the prospective payment system was another step in government interjection with how physicians would be reimbursed. So this is not something new in the 2020 and the 2015 and the, all the reimbursements tied to the Affordable Care Act and the, and the Medicare. Like, no, this started in the 80s. So the government was already interjecting with how doctors would be paid. Hmm. Interesting. So now you have physicians being told what to do, the population being told what to do, organizations being told what to do at the expense of third party payers. Now, if you want to take a further step to understand payment systems, it's a lot to it, but I mean, you can research it. Because over time, they have shifted, especially with the um, Affordable Care Act. And they'll continue to shift. Because why not think of more ways to make money? I mean, they still separate mental health and substance use. (laughs) Why is that a separation? Why are we separating something that is a co-occurring disorder? Hmm, Because you could bill separately. But that's just another point. So now in the 1990s, Mr. Clinton... Billy, he proposed universal coverage also. It was actually his platform. And Hillary enacted the task force, but they missed deadlines and the legislation failed. So to be honest with you, after the Clintons, there was no more talk in America about universal healthcare coverage. So let's hit Bush. Okay. Oh, 2000s, George W. Bush. He shut that down. It was a wrap. Like I said, no universal coverage. And what I want to talk about regarding Bush is the enactment of Medicare Part D. So I will have a segment on insurance insurance companies and breaking that down, but I really just wanted to touch upon what he did. So Medicare Part D is a prescription drug coverage, and when he implemented the enactment of it, he opened the donut hole which we heard a lot when the Affordable Care Act was going on. Oh, Obama closed the donut hole. We'll get into that. But he opened the donut hole. So with the pressure from the insurance companies, they're so powerful. There was no regulations in place. Now, I'm going to break that down. Now, with the donut hole, you would think, hey, you know, hey, this is cool. We're going to have, especially the elderly, because this is Medicare. We're going to have a part of our insurance that covers our prescriptions to help us But willingly, this donut hole was opened without any regulations on pharmaceutical costs. So what happened? Part D's enacted. Tons of elderly are lost in the cracks. Why? Because they, first of all, they can't afford the premium. 
And then, second of all, they can't even afford the um, the prescriptions. So, it seems like our government was more or less benefiting the pharmaceutical industry than it was looking out for its people. So I'm 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 just I be I just be beside myself when I when I let all of this resonate. You know I I really am beside myself because I'm sure if you talk to an older ah older grandparent whatever it may be, I'm sure there's a bunch of us that know family members that could not afford their medications at a at a period in time and they couldn't even get treatment. So, hmm, interesting. And this is all before the Affordable Care Act. So, very interesting times. It's really an unfortunate history, but this is what brings me to the Obamacare. Now, I know everybody has their opinions. Obamacare, to each his own. You keep your opinion and you relish in it. However, <laughs> it's funny to me that Back then, when the Affordable Care Act was, you know, um, going through legislation, in one of my classes, we watched a video of someone going around asking, you know, the public if they were the, for the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. And, you know, they talked about it and it was like, oh, I'm for the Affordable Care Act. I don't know about that Obamacare. But uh, little did they know, the Obamacare is just the nickname for the Affordable Care Act. But I, what I want to highlight about the ACA that was very, you know, influential in, you know, helping other people get access. I really just want to highlight these certain things. So the donut hole I just talked about, Obama closed that. There were regulations put and uh, there were regulations put in place and more efforts to minimize costs for prescriptions, coverage, and options for plans. Truthfully. Coverage extended, um, especially with the Medicaid expansion. Not every state took on Medicaid expansion, which goes back to the government also being able to dictate health. Prior to the Obamacare, though, anybody living with a pre-existing condition, you weren't getting health insurance. I had an aunt, God rest her soul, that had breast cancer. She didn't get half of the services allotted now because she had breast cancer and that was considered a pre-existing condition. So, it... It really just, it really just mind blows me, I swear, because how is that fair? But then again, what is fairness in a free market? Hmm. So apart from extending coverage, there was more preventative coverage. But when I sit here and think about preventative coverage, is it truly preventable? Are we truly getting preventative treatment? Because why does it take for someone to have a tumor to get a CAT scan, huh? Why does it take... For someone to already have cancer to discover it in an MRI because they're far gone. Interesting to me. So is it really preventative? Also, the individual mandate is the other thing I'd like to address. Because one of the things the Obamacare pushed was that everyone had to have health insurance. And what this did was, it was a deal in a sense. So the more insurance companies that enter the market, the more clients they would have, right? So the more money they would make, but also on the recipient side, there would be a better system to assessing one's premium, which could eliminate, which really eliminated cherry picking. So cherry picking the ins uh, in the insurance industry is when they look at a bunch of healthy people and they're like, okay, you come to me, you come to me, all of you come to me because you're all healthy, you're going to cost me the least and I don't even have to worry about it. That's cherry picking. But with more people 
being forced, I should say, it was technically being forced to have health insurance, it made it, it made the pool a little more fair for other people that were sicker because they're getting charged astronomical prices for being sicker. But why is it the people's fault? Why is it the people's fault? They're not aware. They're not educated. That's, it's not an education system how to heal yourself mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. So why is it the people's fault? Now, I want to address the threat to the um, individual mandate that was made um, in the Trump era. What do you think the first thing insurance companies said when that happened? Well, they said, okay, well, if you pull, we pull. And guess what? More people are left uninsured than before Obamacare was put into place. So do you see what I'm saying? It's a very interesting history. And I really felt like it was important that you understand this. Because it's going to get your mind going where you see that this business has always been about profits over people. And it will continue to be about profits over people. Why? I mean, just ask Bill Gates. He's always talking about the population and depopulating the world. But what do I know? Just a computer science guy who's in charge of uh, healthcare and vaccines. And um, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. So I, I, I just want people to stop. Stop the, they went to school for 12 years. Okay, I get it. Doctors did go to school for a long time. But why is it all of a sudden we have all these different specialties? Because the more money you can make. Do you feel me? And again, this isn't to take away from doctors, nurses, any health provider. Because there are a lot of people that are in this industry to help people. But they're shadowed by the ones that are in this business just for profits. And you'll know. You will know who's in it just for profits. But truthfully, y'all, I really just be talking. And I really hope that y'all just continue to rock with me. You know, as we spin the block, going from hood health to good health. Peace, blessings, and opportunities, y'all.